Hello, welcome to the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast, where we grow smarter, learning from the stories and skills, ideas, and insights of farmers and agrarians. Our guest today is Josh Satin from Satin Hill Farm and No-Till Growers. Today, we'll be discussing his recent work at Raleigh City Farm, how he started with No-Till Growers, content creation for your farm, and much, much more. This is really a great interview with Josh today, and I hope that you enjoy. Josh Satin, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Terrence. Glad to be here. Since we've had you on the show last, you actually have been working at Raleigh City Farm. And also, it's been a bit. So would you mind just giving us and the show audience uh, a little brief character biography, what you're doing, how you got into farming? Absolutely. Um, I am not originally a farmer. I've been only farming for three seasons, uh, the first two of which... I was farming at my home in Raleigh, North Carolina, very small market garden, uh, practice till market gardening style. I was doing uh, layers for eggs and also growing microgreens. Did that for two years, kind of fell into that accidentally and started to really love it. And at the end of 2019, I was offered a position to go and run Raleigh City Farm, which is a nonprofit urban farm located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, I thought it would be a big challenge, which it definitely was, and also an opportunity to further my education goals uh, with sustainable agriculture. And so I've been there all year and rebuilt that farm basically from scratch. And it's in a great position now, but I'm going to be leaving there in a few weeks and heading back to farm at my own place again. So that's sort of what I've been up to in the last three years. I also spent a lot of time with video and content creation uh, for YouTube and for also no-till growers and really focusing on education of sustainable agriculture in general. So what did your work at Raleigh City look like? Kind of what was that process? What led you there? And kind of what did it look like while you were there? What were, You said it was a learning experience. Yeah. So just to give you a little bit of history about Raleigh City Farm, it's a privately funded nonprofit, so it's not a public okay. organization. And They've been around for about nine years, and it's always hosted for-profit farmers to come and run their farm on the property there, sort of as an incubator, sort of as a okay. collaborative sort of farming experience, and that giving people the opportunity to come and farm, maybe who didn't have the capital to do it or the land access, things like that. And so I was not interested in running Satin Hill Farm at Raleigh City Farm. I wanted to run it, the whole thing as a nonprofit. And so mm-hmm. at the end of last year, the farm was in pretty rough shape. And um, when I came in, all I saw was potential. And so we basically wiped the place clean. And it's uh, about a quarter of an acre field for uh, outdoor growing production. And we have two greenhouses now. And just we took the whole thing and wiped it, wiped it clean and started over. I had to really work on infrastructure, things like irrigation, uh, wash pack station, tools, systems, um, they have a really awesome rainwater capture system that's been there for a few years, and they didn't have a pump hooked up. They didn't have a line run out to the center of the field. There was nothing really in place, and the field was pretty much completely covered in weeds. It kind of looked like an abandoned lot if you drove by and you know what was going on. No, I'm serious. Like, And if you look at my YouTube channel, you'll see there's like footage. It's like people – yeah, I mean, when we started working there, the neighbors came out and were like wanted to hug me. Uh, they were so happy to see – the transformation. Uh, it, but it's been, it's been a long year. Um, and just to put it in perspective, 
I'm a part-time uh, part-time person there, and the only other paid person is the director, and everyone else is volunteer. So mm-hmm. we had two groups of interns this year and some regular volunteers that helped out a lot and made it possible. And I think that was what was really special about it. And one of the things there, especially with COVID, was we we set up a farm stand once a week, which was really cool. And then we also donated a lot of food. So it's a mixture of community involvement, education, giving back to the community, selling food to the community, uh, sort of all wrapped in in that one package. And it's a much better looking package once you got involved on the farm too. Thank you. Yeah. And it's funny. People ask me a lot about my experience there. And I think they want me to talk about how good the farm looks and it's, it does look good. I'm not going to deny that. But to me, the thing I'm most proud of is all the people that I've gotten to know and teach and learn from and, those friendships and relationships have been more powerful than any physical thing that happened at the farm. And I think that's, that's really true. What this year really embodied for me and my experience there. Well, and it, it's really interesting to hear you say that because I think 2020, so right now I'm actually in the midst of working on an article uh, about how 2020 showed me my best habits. And one of them is something that I always took for granted over the years was community was the people that I was around. It was really once we got into a situation where we're not supposed to be around as many people that I realized how valuable that was for me. And you said you guys had interns. I'm just always curious, what did your internship program look like? Kind of who got involved in it and what was the experience for those interns and their interest in farming going forward? I kind of figured it out as we went this year and <laughs> they didn't have a program like that before. Okay. And, um, that was sort of something that we had to work on throughout the course of the year. And we had a lot of feedback, especially, in the second half of the year, trying to make it better for next year. Of course, I'm leaving there now, but we had three interns all part-time that were there. We, I was generally there Monday, Wednesday, Friday, not even a full day, you know, till early afternoon. And so one of the struggles that we had was to try to get regular labor that was trained because on a farm, I mean, you can get unskilled laborers or untrained labor to like help with moving wood chips or compost Mm -hmm. or maybe doing some weeding or mowing the lawn or, you know, things that like, you go like, all right, go do this and you can walk away. But when you're talking about flipping beds and planting and harvesting and washing and packing, like those people need to know what's going on. And I could say, all right, we need 20 pounds of lettuce. We need, you know, 25 bunches of kale. We need, you know, 20 bunches of carrots and they can go and do it. And so that was my motivation to sort of develop an internship program. And I kind of want to call it more of an apprenticeship. Yeah. But it was a wide range of people. I mean, there was three in the first half and three in the second half, and they all come from different backgrounds and had different goals. And some of the goals changed during the course of their experience there. But my experience as uh, I taught high school for five years, and then so I have an education background. And then I spent five years as a brewer, as a professional brewer, and I trained a lot of brewers. And so that was a more one-on-one apprenticeship And so this was like a one on three apprenticeship. And so I really think that was the right number. Uh, We, we thought about maybe four for the fall. It would have been too much. I wouldn't have been able to give enough attention to each person and really catering their learning. I mean, I taught all of them basically the same stuff, but also at the same time was like, all right, well, you're more interested in the production side. You're more interested in the marketing. You kind of just want to learn about growing food or just have an experience here. Um, Everyone sort of had a different angle, but man, everyone just, crushed it. Like everyone was so energetic and had a great time. And some of the interns from the first half even came by 
this this week to help out. So like they're oh, still involved. Awesome. Yeah, super cool. And my I think one of my favorite things was uh Kate, one of my interns, she realized she's a senior at state right now, NC State, and she's studying like she's like 18 majors and minors. I don't even know. She's like one of those people. <laughs> uh she's incredible. But she's like realized this year she'd volunteered on some other and worked on some other farms and this is like a real production farm for her. And so she realized like I want to be a farmer. And that meant more than anything, I think, this whole year. Like, for her to realize that she could do it and that this is what she wanted to do. I mean, I think that farming is one of those professions where, you know, you work with an apprentice or you work with people, and that's how you learn it. And uh, to be able to pass that along in a physical sense, like, you know, she learned working with me, and now she, I mean, she, she probably knows more about farming than I do. She's incredible. And I ask her a lot of questions, too. So that's, that's great as well. And that was really special, for sure. And one of the things I always find interesting when I go to, like, say, the Moses Conference up in Lacrosse. well, this year it's going to be digital. But anyway, going to conferences like that is the influx of people that just want to start getting their toes wet in the farming world. And it's always interesting to see the avenues that they get to do that. And probably the best way I found is getting that kind of apprenticeship experience on the farm because it really exposes you to the realities of the farm, not just what you imagine it is because you did watch a YouTube video and thought, Oh, everything's going to be fine. And it has those multiple layers and levels like the marketing, the business side of it. There are multiple different parts that they can be involved in. Yeah. I think that was one of the main reasons I wanted to be at Raleigh city farm this year is that, you know, making educational content on YouTube you don't connect with the people physically. Like you're not, you don't get to watch people learn. You don't get to learn from them. You don't get the same feedback. Absolutely. And so one of the things I was really looking forward to was being on a farm with people learning how to farm and connecting the, not just the community around us that live there with sustainable agriculture, um, but also like as a gathering spot for farmers in the area, which with COVID we couldn't really do this year. So I think that having that experience with people learning in, you know, in person and uh, having that experience, it was really powerful. And uh, it was one thing I was never able to do at my farm because my farm's at my house. I have a wife and two kids, and we keep it pretty private. You probably, if you follow any of my work, you don't see any of you don't see them in any of my stuff. Um, and so I don't let you know people come by and hang out here because it's my home. You know, if I know you, it's a different story. But I get asked multiple times a week if people can come and volunteer at my farm, and I just say no to everybody because it's my home. And so having that opportunity was really cool. And I had a lot of people just stopping by. They're like, Hey, I love your work following you on YouTube. I'm so happy to check out the farm and meet you. And that was, that was incredible. I did not anticipate that response. Mm -hmm. And I think the first two months, it was like at least one person a day came by. It just like, it was wild. And, um, even when we have our farm stands, they're, they're done for the season, but people would come from all over and they're like, is Josh here? I'm like, and everyone's like, yeah, there's some family came from Alabama or, or Kentucky or just to come say hi. And I'm like, no, I work during the day. Like I don't do the selling. So, <laughs> uh, it was really cool to connect with people. And there were a bunch of people that I got to connect with that, um, either I'd connected with online that then came by. So that opportunity was really cool to be able to offer. So I'm curious, going forward, is Raleigh City Farms going to be continuing with some of those elements that you guys started with this year and try to carry over the making it a place the farmers can get together next year? Or I is hope it just so. COVID dependent? Yeah, I think a lot of it, I, mean, I think everything in the world right now is COVID dependent. <laughs> everything is COVID dependent right now. Yeah, what happens with that? So I, I'm not sure what the goals are for next year. I mean, one thing that they wanted was a productive farm, which we did. 
Another thing was, you know, education, which we did as best as we could in, in terms of the constraints of COVID. I'm not really sure what their goals are. There, there's a lot of private donation into the organization and um, we donate a lot of food as well. So like right now, a lot of the food we're growing, well, we stopped our farm stand a few weeks ago, but now all the food we're, we're growing is being donated. One place is a place at the table, which is a pay what you can cafe in Raleigh. Uh, and we have a couple other uh, places we donate food to. So there's a big part of that sharing and community involvement, but I'm not sure. I think it, it'll depend a lot on who their next farm manager is and, and sort of how that fits in with the organization next year. I don't, I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little curious in your video that you announced that you were coming back to Satin Hill farm. Uh, you made a comment about the for-profit versus nonprofit model. And I was wondering if you mind expanding a little bit on that. Cause I thought it was an interesting discussion. Yeah. I think about that a lot and I was really excited to check out nonprofit farming this year as being an educator. You know, I, I taught public high school for five years and, um, that was really important to me to that educational comp component. But I think my heart really lies in the for-profit model overall. And mainly the reason is that for us to make a change in the food system, even a small change in the food system, we need more farmers. We need more people growing food. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we're not going to have that many people becoming farmers again. It's just, you know, that's just our lifestyle. Like it's not going to happen. But, you know, if more people are even backyard gardening, growing a couple things, they get more interested. They start tasting what food tastes like that's not mass produced. And they understand that. But for people to be farmers and make a living at it, they have to make a living. And I think I want to spend more time demonstrating that at my own farm. I want to demonstrate that by showcasing other farmers, which I love to do on my YouTube channel as well, showing success stories, showing people that, hey, if you want to do this, you can do this. But for people to be really, you know, avid home gardeners and then watch some YouTube videos and then jump in, which is kind of what I did when I started, but that's another story. (laughs) But I think if we can, if we can show people, Hey, here's some, you know, sustainable ways of growing food, but also here's how you can make money doing it. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to be farming in years two, three, four, five, and six, because the first few years are really hard in any business. Yes. And I think that when you're starting a farm, you have to remember that it's a, a business. Mm-hmm. And if it's not a business, then you're just homesteading, which is totally fine. But if you want to make a living at it or make enough money to support your family for the other things you need money for in life, then they need to be sustainable in that they're making money. So I think the for-profit model for me is kind of where my heart lies with this. More, mm-hmm. I'm more aligned with that. Well, and it's a very good point because honestly, that's the number one thing that I see on farms, especially when it's in, especially when it's someone who gets really excited about the idea of having backyard chickens and then they're going to grow some vegetables or maybe they have a cow. They start really getting, falling in love with the whole farming process without actually thinking of the whole, this is a business and so we need to make money doing it. And there's a reason why Joel Salton in his book recommends do not go full-time farming until you have at least, I think he says, one to two years of income saved so that you can survive. Most of the time, people tend to ignore that wisdom and just go, I'm going to do everything. And inevitably, that's when they aren't farming in one to two years later. Absolutely. And I every time I've made content about marketing or no one wants to watch it. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's the like, unsexy part. 
it's so uh, it's it sucks because that's the stuff we need to be talking about. I think uh, I think Diego's done a great job with a lot of his content oh, over the last yeah. few years. He really gets into that, and I've talked to Diego about it, and he's like, "No one listens to that stuff." If you talk <laughs> about spreadsheets, they they turn it off immediately. You know, I think that when I interviewed Diego, he said that they were, and I seem to remember, yeah, it was like at the end of last year, beginning of this of 2020. He had he said that they were going to be like rolling out like everything was going to be centered a little bit more around the whole business of farming idea and yeah people don't aren't interested in that content which makes me sad because it's the thing that i actually find the most interesting because i don't know about you but as much as i love the things that make money i'm always more interested in how do i actually get from point a of i don't have the money to point b where they pay me yeah i think that's really complicated in farming but i think you have to it's complicated nowadays especially with all the farmers that are small scale and we're doing not just all the growing, but we're Mm -hmm. doing the marketing, the sales, the delivering, and you have to do all that stuff Mm -hmm. to get the high value that you're looking for, for direct marketing. Mm -hmm. And you have to wear all the hats and you got to take the marketing seriously. So here's a question that I have for you. This is a little more off the cuff, but do you think that farmers would benefit in having outsourcing more of their marketing material? If that's not something that they're extremely uh, gifted or interested in? Oh, hundred percent. No one does it, but a hundred percent. Um, I think in general in life, farmers want to do everything themselves. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's an inherent trait in farmers. They want to do everything themselves. Like that's... seeds, start, like starting seeds, like in Europe, you, you run a nursery or you run a field production. You don't do both most of the time, but in the U S we want to do everything. Uh-huh. And I, and there's a lot of farmers I know in, in North Carolina that get starts from like banner greenhouse, for example, and they're killing it. And they're like, I don't have time for this. And like, I don't have the resources to set up a great nursery. So I'm going to have someone else do it until I can, or maybe not. And I think that when it comes to marketing, I think there's some farmers that have a better knack for it. Yes. And some don't. And I know some people that know they don't and they, they admit it. And they're like, I'm going to get someone to help me with this. But I think when people are starting, they're not thinking of it as a business and they don't put the resources in to things that they don't know how to do. They're like, whatever, I'm I'm posting on Instagram. That's what you're supposed to do. I post on Instagram. It's so complicated sometimes. And uh, to be good at it, like, it's a whole nother skill set. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's literally a career. Like you said, farmers try doing everything. And okay, so mm-hmm. we talked about this like pre-show, pre-recording about when you're doing a video, you're literally doing every aspect of the video making process. A thing that a lot of other companies that produce content or make videos literally have someone who's the director, the cinematographer, the producer, the script writer, lining everything up, the interviewer, and you are wearing all those hats at one time. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about my farm for two years here. And then this year moving forwards, I'm doing all the field work, I am lining up sales. I'm doing all the marketing, uh, any, you know, customer relationships, emails, you know, it's everything. Um, and you have to market your farm because if you don't, you're not going to have sales Mm -hmm. and to get the direct sales, you like to get the money that you need for your products. Like you have to do all that other work or pay someone to do it. Otherwise, you know, we can nerd out about soil. I mean, it's, and like have really pretty market gardens and like talk about, oh, this technique or this amendment. And trust me, I'm in that world. Like I love nerding out about that stuff. But if you're not, if you're not selling what you're growing, there's no point. So I do want to get into uh, 
content creation. But first, I'd actually like to talk about that nerding out about soils, because since we talked before, you're now working with no-till growers. And I see you've got your hat on. People listening can't see it, but you've got your no-till growers hat on. What? How did you get involved with them? What are you doing with them right now? Tell us about that. Yeah, so I'm... I'm going to be spending more time working with no-till growers uh, in 2021, and I am really excited. If you guys don't know about no-till growers, it's a group of three people. Um, there's Jesse Frost. Um, maybe you guys know who he is. He's uh, been runs on the-, the podcast. Well, there you go. Then you definitely know who he is. Uh, has is in his third season of the No-Till Market Garden podcast, which in my mind is just it's just incredible. Jesse's work is just it's just awesome. If you haven't like go check that out if you're into this. Uh, nerdy farming podcast stuff. Uh, you probably have already seen it or listened to it. Uh, and then the third, third person is Jackson Roulette, who's another farmer in Kentucky, and he does a lot of the behind the scenes business, advertising, accounting, all the Things stuff that no like, one else wants to do. Right, like Jesse and I, Jesse, Jesse and I sort of started collaborating about. I think I was a third guest on his podcast, which I don't know if a lot of people know, but yeah, he just I remember re- that interview. Okay. Wow. All right. I listened to it like, a, anyways, yeah, he just reached out and then it was a months later, we just started chatting about uh, YouTube, I think, and started really like collaborating together and, and, um, and working together. And he's like, Hey man, why don't you start making videos for no-till growers? And it just sort of sp- spun off from there. Um, and there's, I've done a lot of video content on the no-till growers YouTube channel, which was Jesse's YouTube channel, which he sort of morphed into no-till growers. So if you, if you go check that out, there's, uh, you know, Jesse's content and then the stuff that's like really nerdy, not YouTube looking stuff. It's like a person talking about things like I shot most of those. Um, and I also do a live show every other week on the no-till growers channel called growers live, where I interview farmers, growers, industry professionals. We've had some great names on the show, uh, just some great minds like, you know, Charles Dowding, Elaine Ingham, Ray Tyler, Jam Fortier, Daniel Mays, uh, and some other names that you may not have heard of that are just fantastic. I had Spencer Rudolph on last week, uh, who's an amazing girl in California. We got real nerdy, uh, which is awesome. And so I'm spending more and more time creating content for no-till growers. And it's, it's just this great mixture of people and talent and education. And I just, I feel really strongly about it because one of the main things about no-till growers is that we don't charge for any content. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where we've really struggled with because as an organization, as like a, I'll put air quotes business here, um, I, you have to make money to survive. Even if you don't pay yourself, there's still bills. Yes. And so we have a Patreon account with over 500 members now, which That's is awesome. mind. Yeah. It's mind blowing. The community is built over the last couple of years and really supporting us. And we're really going to stick to that model of giving everything away. So we have some really exciting plans. Uh, there's going to be launching. We're going to be launching three new podcasts soon under the No-Till wow. Growers umbrella. Yeah, I'm not doing one of them, uh, <laughs> but uh, one of them has been announced, which is uh, No-Till Flowers from uh, Jenny Love of Love and Fresh Flowers, and I think she's in Philadelphia. And there's two more, which I don't think have been announced yet, so I don't want to say anything. But let me just you're, you're going to tease us. I'm just going to tease you. They're going to be, I mean, incredible. Like I'm just. It's, it's super be cool. Class content, just like everything else, the no-till growers put together. Uh, I hope so, Terrence. I mean, I thank you. I don't. I don't know. I feel like we're just winging it all the time, but we're just trying our best. And um, you know, we we had our Patreon website, and we started making that nerdy content, which I was mentioning before. And we were going to put it on the Patreon site for like Patreon members. And after like a week, I called Jesse, and I was like, "Dude, not okay. I'm not okay with this. 
I looked and it was like 40 views and I'm like, but if we put on YouTube, 3000 people will get to see this and help them. Yeah. So to me, it was like a no brainer. Jesse and I immediately like, like, all right, we're just, we're just going to dump it on YouTube. And so everyone can watch it. So that's kind of our mentality, you know, just getting more support from everyone who's been involved in the community and sponsors. And it's just, it's just, it's going to be really cool. I just, I got a lot of cool stuff going on next year. And one of the reasons for going to farm at home is also to be able to have more flexibility and time to work on those projects. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's about education. It's about just helping as many people as we can well, and, and sharing everyone's stories. Everything on no-till growers is wonderfully well done. It is a class content. I highly recommend if anyone listening hasn't checked them out, especially if you're in this space, you need to see what they're doing because it is good content with very detailed information presented well and it's the presentation of information i was just uh talking with a past show guest scott hebert recently about we were discussing the books that we read in 2020 and he had like a massive rant on this one book he got on mitochondria and his main thing was it was not described well it was just terribly written it needed an editor you can have the best information in the world and unless it is translated well unless it's presented well it's not going to work. No one's really going to get it. And no-till growers does a great job of presenting information in a way that people can understand. Thank you, Terrence. That means a lot. And, um, we, we're just trying as hard as we can. And we put like, it's crazy. We like, we won't really get paid yet. And so it's, it's been a challenge to like set aside more time. I mean a little bit, but it's not mm-hmm. like compensating us for like what the work we've been doing. But yeah, I agree. We're just, we're really trying to take things up to another level whenever we possibly can. I think Jeb bring having me come in with the video work has helped a lot in terms of upgrading, you know, getting that quality up, you know, trying to help get our quality up for, you know, logos and website. And, you know, Jesse's, you know, got some better audio equipment for the podcasts and whenever we can, we're just trying to make it better and try to think outside the box a little bit too. I mean, notes like growers live, like I don't know of anyone doing live video interviews on YouTube. And one mm-hmm. of them, I mean, that was an idea that I had kicked around forever with Jesse and we were just trying to figure out how to make it work and the technology's there. And the neatest thing is we can get someone who there is no way you could get, you know, attention from someone like, let's say JM. Mm-hmm. But if I have them on growers live and you get in there, you can ask them a question. And yeah. so it just makes people accessible that would never be accessible. And I think that's, it's just so powerful. I just think it's so cool. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And I I don't want to tease too much about next year, but there are some big things next year. That's all I have to say. I will be asking you more questions when we're not recording so that hopefully I can get inside track. But speaking of 2021, you, you said that part of the reason you're coming back to the farm is so that you can have a little more flexibility. What is your farm going to look like in 2021? Yeah, so one thing that I said when I left my home farm to go to Raleigh City Farm was if I do come back here or when I come back here, I'm going to grow 100% undercover. And so that is a big part of what I'm going to do. And the other thing I really want to demonstrate is like how much production can you get in a tiny space? And I think that was one of the draws for people on my YouTube channel was that, hey, look, this dude started a farm in his backyard. He's making a run at it. He's selling food. And I think a lot of people connected with that. I live on a two acre lot in the suburbs. I grew up in Boston, very urban, like literally streetcar in front of my house. Uh, and so to me, like two acres is like, 
huge, <laughs> but most people, it's like a big suburb, you know? Uh-huh. And so that's possible, but hundred percent undercover. Uh, I'm starting with, it's going to be small Terrence. I mean, I'm doing two cat tunnels to start. So maybe a third by the end of the year, but I can't farm full time. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like I have to keep it under wraps, but what I've learned this year, especially doubling down on that undercover thing is everything grows better in a tunnel. Mm-hmm. You get, I, I say this all the time. Like I saw two to three times the production in a tunnel that you get out in the field. Oh, wow. In my context, right? If you're in Southern California, <laughs> you live in a greenhouse, <laughs> but here our biggest, uh, downfall, our biggest challenge is the rainfall. We get mm-hmm. intense rainfall and high humidity in the summer. And so anything we can do to control the moisture is helpful. I mean, just, we got a couple inches in the last couple of days and sometimes some evenings we'll get three inches in an evening and like, it just gets, it's so wet. We lose a lot of soil for erosion. Um, and so the more you can protect your soil with, you know, uh, one of the main things about no-till agriculture is, is covering your soil. Mm-hmm. And so for me to cover my whole farm is like the ultimate way to cover my soil and protect it. So I think for me, I'm, I need to have every inch of my place producing food and the maximum amount of food I can produce in that small space. And so that's what we're doing is growing vegetables and tunnels and selling to chefs. And I'm not going to be growing microgreens. I'm not, I'm going to getting rid of my chickens. I need to simplify my time and my, my farm so that I can still farm. Cause I got asked like, Hey, you don't have to farm anymore. You could just go all in on content creation. And I don't want to stop farming. I don't want to stop mm-hmm. growing, even though it's going to be part-time. It might look silly to some people how small it's going to be. But I mean, I, I don't have the, the capacity to do it full-time. But if I can demonstrate, hey, we can make this amount of money in this amount of square feet, like I think that's a cool little model to share with people. Well, and I look at your video work as a form of art, a creative expression, and more or less the farming is farming and the farmers are your subject, the subject of your medium and how you choose to share and display what the farm and farming are. So I think it's fascinating. It's great to see the interplay that you have between your farm and then the content you're creating around it. Thank you. Um, I took me a long time to wrap my head around being an artist. I never thought <laughs> that's like. Jesse and I had many conversations about that. Just, just putting that out there, but thank you. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I fall in love with the videography. Um, you know, I, I could talk more about like how I got into it, but I've at the, at this point, I think I love it as much as farming. I really love making video. Um, it's, it's super cool. It's just the way my brain works that way. I can't really explain it. I've always been more of a, I'd rather watch a movie than read a book person. And I think that's like, it took a while. I was kind of embarrassed about it for a long time. Like I just don't enjoy reading and my wife loves reading. Uh-huh. And so she's always like, why don't you read a damn book? That's not just like, you know, like a, I was like, no, if I'm reading a book, it's like information. Like I'm not reading for pleasure. Like, cause I need the information in that book. I'm going to read that book. So I've always been into video. And so I've, now that I'm doing it as a part-time job, I love it. Well, and that's one of the things that I think is fascinating to see how people drift towards the things that they associate best with or the the medium of exchange that they enjoy most. I do podcasting because I love audio, because I grew up listening to audiobooks and audio dramas. So for me, the spoken word, the, the vocal performance is fascinating. And that's the thing I really get my jives off on. Whereas video, it's incredible and I'm always amazed at it, but it's never been the thing that's resonated with me as much as audio. You, I, I see behind you, you've got your YouTube plaque there. People, again, that are listening can't see it. But what is it that kind of got you involved with making YouTube videos? Because you're not just like a, 
I, I'm recording this on my phone, throwing up on YouTube, using the mobile app. You actually put effort and work into it, and it obviously shows in the quality of your videos. All right. So I owned a business prior in my life. I had owned a homebrew store selling ingredients and, and supplies. And one of the things I took away from that was that I didn't do enough marketing. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, my education's in engineering and mathematics. Those are my degrees. And so to Directly me... translating to marketing. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> I always... I, you know, I had friends that were in the business school and like were marketing majors. And I was always... I just saw, I always thought marketing was this like dark magic. Like I couldn't understand it, but it's like, I don't know. I, I worked at it when I started my farm in 2018, I realized, okay, everything in life, you, you, there's a takeaway. And that was my takeaway from my first business. So I realized, all right, I got to get into marketing. I got to figure this out. I just got to work really hard. Cause I'm the kind of person that if I want to do something, I just figure it out. Like I work hard mm-hmm. enough to figure it out. And, um, which actually makes a lot of sense if you have a background in engineering and mathematics, because that's that's how kind of the approach is you figure out how something works yeah maybe i I don't know maybe it's just work ethic just i'm just stubborn i'm like i want to learn how to do this like let's just keep keep plugging away at it and so i i uh with the with the farm i you know i started a farm kind of by accident and i was like hey i gotta start marketing and i realized okay instagram is where it's at so i went hard on instagram like i posted once a day for a year and like each post was quality. Like I didn't try to just throw something up and then throw a quick caption in. I really worked at it and I started making short videos because I was like, Hey, I want to make short videos. And then I started getting tons of questions. Uh, and I, my videos sort of had an educational aspect to them, but like you can only explain so much in 59 seconds. <laughs> and this is sort of before IGTV was really a thing. Uh-huh. And so, or maybe it was there, but people weren't using it. I don't know. But people started asking me a lot of questions and I was kind of getting tired of answering the same questions over and over again. I was like, Hey, if I made a longer form video, I could answer a lot of these questions, but I was hesitant to start YouTube because I know how much of a time sink it is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hey, I don't want to, I'm, I'm a farmer now. Like I don't want to spend half my time or more YouTubing. And for whatever reason, I, I jumped in and started making like really educational tutorial based content. And within, so that was end of March in 2019. So I've only been, I haven't even been on YouTube for two years. Uh, and within a few months I had a viral video and then my channel blew up and then it was, I didn't anticipate it at all. And I would, I couldn't ignore the fact that it was a part-time job at that point. I had to scale back the farm, spend more time on YouTube and it sort of progressed from there. And then in terms of quality and production value, I just, every time I could, I'd invested more in it as a business, bought myself a computer, a key, I constantly am upgrading camera gear, microphones, mm-hmm. uh, lighting, uh, whatever I can. I'm just, I, I'm totally fascinated by it and you just keep going and try to make it better. And I think that one of the things that I could focus on in when I started the YouTube channel was like, look at all the other YouTube channels out there in my field. Cause I was mm-hmm. watching so much YouTube, you know, I mean, that's how I was learning how to farm was mostly through YouTube and a few books. And so I, I sort of thought about my audience and what content was missing. And I tried to put myself in there and very quickly I realized, okay, well, the education side of me is very natural. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I, Jesse always jokes with me, he goes, dude, you're so good at explaining stuff in your videos. I'm like, cause I'm a teacher. Like I'm always, I think Literally no matter where I'm going to be, do. 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel like wherever I wind up in life, I'm going to be teaching or educating. And so it just comes naturally. And then I got really into the, all the technical stuff with the filming. So, um, I, now I just love it, Terrence. Like it's, it's so much fun. And I think that there needs to be more high quality content with farming because most of it is just dudes with phones or, you know, and there's, that's, valuable in other ways too, because sometimes they can share information or tell a story. And it's not always about everything being in 4k and beautifully shot and all this stuff. But I think when I go to visit other farmers and I have the opportunity to tell their story and show their farm off, I want to make it as beautiful as possible. Mm -hmm. I really want to like give them that opportunity and give them that gift of like presenting their farm. So I just been nerding out hard on it and I love it. So we're going to say that you are a YouTube expert. Y- you have all the credentials here to prove it. So what what would you recommend for farmers who are looking at trying to create more digital content, more video content about their farms and their operations, and share their story in that kind of narrative? So there's a lot of different reasons that you might want to be doing that. And I think that's you have to realize what your goals are mm-hmm. with your content. Right. So if your goal is marketing your farm, then it's different than education. And there's some overlap with everything. But I think when you're talking about, you know, like on Instagram, if you're it's a photo or a video, you know, you're using that to market your farm. And that's different from like what I'm doing on YouTube. Because mm-hmm. I never thought of YouTube as a way to promote my farm. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever got sales based on my YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And I know that some some farmers do. So I think that it really depends on what your goals are. I think that I didn't anticipate YouTube becoming a, a career or a, mm-hmm. a job or any of those things. I didn't anticipate that at all. I was just doing it in that sort of abundant mindset to like share and to, you know, I've always been open and honest with my with my audience. And I say, hey, like I I only have this much experience and I'm going to try this. I don't say I don't, this isn't the way to do it, but I'll show you if it doesn't work and we can all learn from it. So in terms of getting started, um, I think you got to think about what your goals are. And in terms of equipment, like phones are pretty, pretty darn good right now. Uh, you could add a microphone and a tripod for like a hundred bucks. And that's how I started my channel. And it works. (laughs) And so what would be some, let's say someone wants to make, a tutorial video? What are like five keys to that process? Because there may be farmers listening right now. They're like, I do one thing really well on my farm and I'd love to show other people how to do that. Yeah. So I tend to have three kinds of videos that I make on my channel, the way I think about it. One is tutorials. One is sort of vlogs where I just take people along for a day or two or through a process when I don't really know what's going to happen. I kind of have an idea. And the third one is when I do interviews and farm tours. And they're all kind of different. In terms of tutorials, I think planning is key. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you you're... Actually write a script out? I never do. Um, and I, I really should sometimes. I generally have trouble when I do that. Um, okay. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I've tried it before and I just... I think it's educated me. I'm not really sure, but I can just see like all the steps in my head and what order Mm -hmm. I want them to be shot in. But I think if you haven't done it a lot or hadn't written a lesson plan or whatever (laughs) in your life, I think you think about like 
if you're going to make a video about kale, for example, which I made a video about kale, and you talk about, okay, we're going to seed varieties, seed starting, transplanting, harvesting, cropping out, irrigation. Think about all the elements that you need to explain. Think about what order they want to be in. And then think about the shots that you want. So like if you want a time lapse of harvesting or you want you know, to make it a little more artistic and do some slow motion or you just want a different angle or you want to strap a GoPro to you or you know, whatever it is that you want to do as a video creator and as an artist, like you need to plan that out. Like when you watch a video that's seamless and looks smooth, mm-hmm. that's that's what you're going for. Like you want you don't if you can see where I'm making cuts and making making the video, then I didn't do a good job. You should be like when, when you watch a really good movie, you, you don't think about the movie making process. Right. If you can see something, then you're like, okay, this isn't good. So the more planning you do, the better. One key I've taken away from making a lot of videos is that I try to shoot the video in the same order that I want to put it together in. Mm -hmm. Because when I sit down and edit it, all the files are in order and I can kind of just go through it. So like if I'm talking and then I want to have like a B-lay overall, a B-roll overlay, I'll finish talking, take those shots, and then they're right next to the other clip. And I also try to edit my videos pretty soon after I shoot them, even the same day often, or maybe the next day. If I have content that I sit, it sits in a folder on my computer for a while and I try to edit it, it takes me twice as long because I have to rewatch each clip and then think about what I was trying to get with each clip. You have to recall so, all that information. Yeah. So like when you're shooting it, I kind of just do it in one, one sort of motion. Often I'll try to edit that day if I can. That's some of the tips that help me a lot because you can waste so much time in the editing process. It's uh-huh. insane. But the more that you get right in the camera, the be- the easier it is to be editing. So that's that's a big takeaway. And that does not come easily. That's a lot of time and practice. Mm-hmm. How about the other videos? Are there any basics? This is how you kind of like to structure them? Yeah, so the vlogs, I think, are the most fun to make. And I think they also get the least amount of views. Uh-huh. But they, I think they tend to be the more creative ones for me because I can stop and try to make something look cool just to make it look cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're kind of more fun. Like they're more freestyle. Cause it's like, I don't really plan out. Like I'll do a vlog on, okay, we're going to build this thing this day, but like, it's not a tutorial. So, you know, if we're going to stop and make a joke, like it's totally, I mean, I, I always try to put a little bit of humor in everything if I can. And I think that's helpful. You always got to have some personality. If you're just like straightforward, like <laughs> no one's going to want to watch you, you know, it's just, it's like going to school. Like this is not, So I think those are more freestyle in that, like, I kind of just like, all right, I'm going to vlog today. And I just, I think about all things going on and you just learn like what's good, what's not. But the other thing is you have to slow down whatever you're doing a lot. Mm -hmm. So if like you're like building compost bins, for example, which I just did this week, uh, you have to stop and like, all right, I need this shot. I need, I want to do a time-lapse like this. And then, you know, you have to stop and slow down and think about the shot and how it's going to work. So it makes, it adds a lot of time to whatever you're doing. So if, you know, the thing was going to take you two hours, it probably will take you three or four just because you have to stop and film it the whole time. And having people around you that are into it too. I mean, some of my interns were like, really, come on, man, just get out of the way. I want to get this done. And some people were like, did you get the shot? Do you want me to redo this, like pulling the rake again? Uh, So there's, there's a little bit of that. (laughs) And then the last one, the interview I think is, the hardest thing for me. And mm-hmm. you know, as someone who does podcasts, the interview itself is the hardest part of that. And there's people that you can watch television and there's an interview of like a politician or a leader. There's people that just put on makeup and, and sit there and ask questions. Like they don't do yes. anything else. 
And I realized this the first time I pointed the camera at someone. I went to someone visit someone's farm, and I was like, "Oh my god, I have to interview them." And I was like, "That's a whole other skill set that I mm-hmm. I've, I've been working on a lot." And that is the hardest part about it. And then when you're there, I, it's often the first time I met the person, and so I'm trying to get all this that shit. rapport. You, you have to start it from nothing. Exactly. And sometimes I have to drive quite a bit of ways to go there, so I only have limited time. You know, we're trying to shoot everything in four or five hours, and I'm also doing all the camera work, the audio, the directing, the producing. Like I'm wearing every single hat and we're outside with variable conditions. And Sundays, <laughs> like one day I went to show up and it was raining and I was like, damn, I'm going to have to come back. And it was an hour each way, you know, uh, the video came out great when we were done. So I was happy about it. But I think that's one of the hardest ones. And then I think I also feel the most responsibility in that role because I want to make sure that I am giving them the best possible representation of their farm and as a person. And I think the farmer is always the most interesting part. And I try to have them tell their story more than anything else uh, in those interviews because the farms are awesome. Like I love seeing people setups and how they're doing things, but the farmer is always the most interesting part of it for me. So I, I try to focus on that as much as I can. And I think some of the interviews I did this fall just were so amazing. I felt so good about it. And giving, and they give me like a whole day, and so the most I can do is, the least I can do is, to promote them, showcase what they're doing, and let people, let the world see what they're up to, and that can be really special. One of the things I always enjoy getting to see is how the farm is, the canvas for the farmer as an artist to really display and reflect their values, but also the values of their customers, and it's like an expression of the exchange between the farmer and the community and their market. It. It's great that you get you get the opportunity to do that because it also gives the farmers something to share with their friends, with their family, with their audience, because maybe they aren't videographers. Maybe they don't tell their story or share their story in a particular way. You then have the opportunity to step in and showcase what makes that farm unique. Absolutely. And, you know, the interview, if a lot of times you're interviewing someone who's never been interviewed before or never been on camera yeah. and there's some people I've worked with several times and there's like still can't look at the camera, can't like pause and they know it. And like, we've talked about it and there's some people I just point the camera at them and they just go for it and it's more natural and, and whatever. But yeah, I think that that opportunity to collectively like showcase what they're doing. And, you know, a great example of that, uh, Jesse and Brooke at broken spoke farm in, uh, Hillsborough, North Carolina did a great video with them they were so grateful about the fact that I captured their farm and their family in a way that they couldn't explain otherwise. And they sent it to all their friends and family and they said, Hey, now we understand the crazy things you guys have been doing in the last five years. And it makes sense now. And I think when you, for example, take a good photograph of someone and you send it to them and you captured a moment or captured them in a way that makes them look flattering or whatever, they're really like when someone sends me a photo, I'm like, thank you. That was really thoughtful. But to put together like a 25 minute film mm-hmm. that really shows off what they do, why they do it and make their place look beautiful. It, that is so special. Like I, that is really cool. And I take a lot of pride in that, but also like I get really nervous that I don't do enough justice for them. So, and the other point is the, as you said about the canvas, like the farm is always a representation of the farmer. Like when you have farmers that are like super OCD, their, their farms are super OCD. If they're kind of more free spirited, like once you get to know them, you'll like walk around like, okay, I understand like the connection between the farm and the farmer for sure. 
Josh, this has been an amazing conversation. Where can people go to learn more about you and your work, your many different works? Absolutely. Thanks, Terrence. Uh, one place is probably just go check out my YouTube channel. Just look for Josh Satin. I'm easy to find on the internet. Uh, also, No-Till Growers, NoTillGrowers.com. Um, check out Jesse's podcast and then the YouTube channel as well, the No-Till Growers YouTube channel. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, I am Josh.Satin. Easy to find. And we'll link to all that in the show notes. Josh, thank you again for joining us on the show. Absolutely, Terrence. Anytime. Big thanks to Josh for joining us on the show today. It was an awesome conversation, as always. Be sure to check out his Growers Live interviews on the No-Till Growers YouTube channel, along with his own YouTube channel, Josh Satin, on YouTube. All of this, of course, is linked in the show notes, which you can find at intellectualagrarian.com forward slash satin 2021. Thank you again for listening. If you're new to the show, please subscribe on whatever your favorite podcast player of choice is. We're on all of them, even on Audible, I'm happy to say. While you are there, please leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, as it allows us to rank higher, show greater in the searches and all that fun stuff. So thank you again. This has been Terrence Lehew and the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast reminding you to keep farming the dream.